January 26th, 2019. That was the morning I woke up and I asked myself, how are dating apps serving me? What are they giving me? What have they given me? And all the answers were negative. Hi, and welcome to series three of Knowing When to Quit. Whether you've been with us the whole time or you've just joined us, welcome. I'm Sarah Wyler and I'm the host of this podcast. I wanted to spend some time ahead of series three reflecting on this podcast and why it was still relevant. And this is something I teach all of my clients to do and talk about in my quitting work is that we regularly should take stock of the things in our lives and consider whether they still feel supportive and relevant. And I wanted to think about what's my recommitment with this podcast and why do we still need it? So there are three things that came up for me. The first is that we are quitting more and more. So when I started recording this podcast in lockdown, this was a moment when everyone had a chance to review their life and think about what they wanted to keep. And it feels like the decision to quit, reboot and change direction have only accelerated in the last couple of years. So we've gone from quitting being a dirty word to avoid, to being a sign of empowerment and agency and wisdom. So when we allow quitting to be an option, when we even give it some space to think about, we really have a chance to choose what stays in our life, the people, the places, the projects and environments that truly support us. And as we're going to hear in today's episode, that can include our dating life. The second reason I wanted to keep this podcast is because of how challenging being with the question of quitting can be. This indecision is hard. Knowing when to quit remains complex. It's rarely a black and white decision to decide to move on from something. And knowing that and respecting that it's emotional and confusing is in some ways quite soothing. So what I'm seeing more and more is that the process of quitting allows us to see what's important to us, what we need and what we want to change. We rarely do have to quit the whole thing. And you'll see on these um, in this series, there's times when I coached people who think that they want to leave a whole profession. And actually, there might just be some needs that need to be met. So more often than not, giving our desire to quit an audience, feeling all the emotions and making changes from a grounded place can completely shift our perspective. And the third reason is around ritual. And sometimes we do need to finish. Sometimes we do need to quit and we need to honour that something has ended. And when we do, it can be done with grace and respect rather than shame and resentment. I continue to find the concept of ritualising beautiful endings something to explore. And I want to keep understanding how bringing clean and clear ends to our projects, relationships and identities can help us to follow aliveness and joy and spend time on the right stuff. I really hope that you will continue to spend time with us as this whole topic of quitting continues to evolve and become more mainstream. I'm sure this podcast will continue to evolve as well. But wherever you're at with your journey of quitting, really lovely to have you here. And I'm looking forward to sharing the next few episodes with you. Holding on.
Today's guest is Shaney Silver. She's a writer based in New Orleans and the host of a single-serving podcast. She's also the author of A Single Revolution, Don't Look for a Match, Light One. And it's a book that's changing the narrative around being single and hopefully helping single women feel better about this incredibly valuable time in our lives. She says, I'm not an advocate for singlehood. I'm an advocate for single women feeling good while single. There is a difference. Shaney is also the author of two substacks, 1982, a healing newsletter for 80s babies, and Hey Shaney, a toxic positivity free advice column for a perpetual reframer. I first came across Shaney's work about a year and a half ago and was blown away by the reframe on being single. And it really supported me to think about how in times that I am single, I'm spending my life and I'm looking at how I'm, how I'm seeing my life as a single woman. So I really recommend this. I think it's a really good example of when we need to quit something that is not serving us and that we can feel the toxicity of it and we can feel how it's impacting us. And yet society has told us we need it. And this may not just be dating. There may be so many other things that we can look at around this lens. But I think it's such an important message to allow ourselves and to give ourselves permission to stop using things that don't work. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. It was such a pleasure to have Shaney on the show. Finally, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to support us, there's three ways you can do that. Firstly, you can rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That can help it get up in the charts and reach more people. Secondly, you can share this episode with others and help spread the word. And thirdly, you can buy us a coffee at ko.fi.com forward slash Sarah Wyler. Enjoy the episode. Oh, Shaney, so I'm so happy to have you on. We, well, I connected with you because of your fantastic book that was a real gift to me about a year ago when I was feeling all the feels around being single. Um, I'd love you to share a bit about, for people who don't know what that book is and yeah, why you wrote it. Well, A Single Revolution, Don't Look For A Match, Light One, is the book that I needed about a decade ago. Um, I didn't know that I needed it. And that's sort of one of the, that's one of the hardest parts for me as an author is that like, you can't just give this book to someone, have them read it, absorb it. And then suddenly they feel good about being single. It has to be something you come to on your own. And 10 years ago, I was never going to come to this conclusion on my own. I was never going to say to myself, Hey, why are you trying so fiercely to find a partner? What is so bad about being single? Because this pursuit of yours, this constantly fruitless pursuit of yours is hurting you. It's really, really hurting you. So why are you doing it? I couldn't ask myself that question because I didn't know it was an option. Because all I was ever told was single is bad, single is wrong. If you're single, it's your responsibility mm. to date until you find a partner. And that might work for someone who dates for about a year. But I did it for 10. And there was no partner in sight. And really, how much is society willing to ask of a single woman's mental health? in my opinion, far too much. So I wanted to change that. And I think, or I know that it was going to be much more fruitful to start that change, start that revolution from single women ourselves 
and then have us radiate it out into the world. I didn't think that I was ever going to change the world at large on the idea of singlehood unless we had examples to show them. So hopefully when you read my book, you become an example of who and what single women can be, how happy we can be, how um, content, calm, and confident we can be. And those are the kind of partners I want to be with. And mm -hmm. I hope that I hope that that's um, I hope it's a soothing book for people who are unhappy in their singlehood. That's my hope for the book. That's why I wrote it. Yeah, well, I definitely got that from it. And I, I suppose, can we start with like, why have we historically, why has it historically been so bad to be single? It's a shame narrative like anything else. And it's a shame narrative that in many ways serves patriarchy. It serves capitalism. It serves everything but the single woman. Um, we tend to only praise women for things they do that relinquish their autonomy. We praise women for getting married. We praise women for having children. And all of these things sort of require so much of the woman outside of herself. And historically they have anyway. And I'm obviously speaking so heterosexually right now. Um, I think single women make people afraid because they go so against the norm that has existed from the dawn of time. And by the way, let me be very clear. I think people partnering up romantically is incredibly natural, incredibly human, incredibly beautiful. I want it for myself. I want it for anyone who wants it. Mm -hmm. But I do not believe that single women should have to be miserable before their partner. That's a huge yeah. difference for me. It's a, it's a long-standing narrative that has been in existence for generations. And it's used to shame women into settling, in my yeah. opinion. I think that's what it's for. I think it's used to have women shrink themselves so that men never have to expand themselves. And that might sound super cynical, but I guess I don't care because we're the ones living this. And mm. I would like to be one person in the world that's changing it. Do you think, I, mean, I know you've acknowledged this as heterosexual relationships. Do you think men are ever shamed for being single? Or what, what have you noticed? Have you had much feedback from men around this topic? I would say my audience is about 95% female, not, not totally heterosexual, but mm -hmm. definitely, definitely mostly female. And then the small percentage of my audience that is male, um, I don't hear a lot of shame narratives from them. I hear, you know what I hear from men is it's a loneliness narrative, I think mm -hmm. more so than a shame narrative. Um, and obviously men are so welcome in my community and so welcome in my work, but no, I haven't heard I haven't heard the same shame points that that we pile upon yeah. single women as though we're like dolloping a huge spoonful of mashed potatoes on their plate. We get just doled out shame just daily if you're a single woman, particularly one that is over the age of like 29. Like yeah. You're going to get plenty of it. Wow. And I, yeah, I think... One thing that really stood out from your book was when you talked about when you stay in like a shared accommodation with friends and it's you're automatically given like the bunk bed mm -hmm. and it's like, well, they should sleep in the same bed because they're a couple. And it's like, why though? That was the that was the bunk bed that launched my entire career. I remember really? that bunk bed intimately. It was a child size bunk bed and that was just automatically the room that I was given there was a room with a king-size bed and the couple who planned the trip got that which I think is fair by the way yeah and there was a room with a queen-size bed and the couple that didn't plan the trip got that and then there was a children's room with a bunk bed and that was obviously mine and I just sort of at the time I guess I didn't think much of it until I went to bed that first night and I was like looking up at the bed above me 
and it was like so close to my face. This was a child's bunk bed. And I was just like, why is this? Why are they better than me? There are two beds in here. There are two beds in here. Two people can sleep in this room. Why are they better than me? And it was because they'd always been told that they were. These were not mean people. These are people that loved me and still do. But like, they've just been taught that they're better. And I had been taught that I was worse. And I wasn't a full grown, worthy, valid adult until I had a husband or at the very least a boyfriend. Mm. And that's the, that was the first time I'd ever asked the question ever, ever, What happened in that moment then? A, a very tiny seed was planted. It's a forest now, but it was a seed at the time. It would take many, many more years before I would feel like I had a voice or like that voice was worth hearing. It, it took a really long time. I'm a cancer sun sign and we move slowly, but we make very powerful impacts when we get there. So mm-hmm. it just, sometimes you got to be patient with yourself um, and listen to yourself and it's okay if it takes time to develop that, um, that strength, I guess. But that's where it began. It was on a it was on a fucking bunk bed, and I'll yeah. never forget it ever. I, it's funny that that's the image that stayed with me. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. the, obviously was very powerful when you wrote about it. What were some of the other things that annoyed you before you reclaimed Singleton? Let's just get them out before we <laughs> go on to sure. the positives. Oh, it was just. Um, I mean, the most annoying thing was the fruitlessness. The most annoying thing was at some point I had to ask myself. I've been on. I have been on hundreds of dates. I have met hundreds of strangers. When the fuck am I going to find a partner? This is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It was ridiculous that I hadn't met even one partner, not even like a three-month relationship, nothing. Just by accident, I should have met someone in a decade, in 10 years. I'm not an overly abhorrent person. I don't think (laughs) that there's anything repellent about who I am. Maybe there is, who knows? But like- (laughs) you know, I've seen, I've seen shittier people partner more and I'm like, shouldn't, shouldn't I have at least had a relationship by accident at this point, something. And it was just this Saharan void of real connection. And it was just so many dates and so much trying and so much effort with absolutely zero reward. And what I would find out later, obviously, is that I'm far from the only person who experiences that. But um, that was the most annoying thing. The fruitlessness of effort was the most annoying thing until I understood that that's just the way it goes. Dating is simply an area of life where effort does not match reward. Right. And when you, can, you know what I mean? When you let that go, when you accept it, when you accept that you might date for 10 years with nothing and a good friend of yours might be single for one week and meet their spouse, when you accept that that's just life, you let go of so much pain and so much pressure and so much jealousy and rage. And we don't deserve to carry these things around just because we're single. I really hear that. I think it's really important to remember because I think you said at the start that we see that it's our fault if we're single. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you've got to try harder, just go on one more date. It's Of course, it's not easy. And then there's like a horrible energy around it. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling like you're doing it under sufferance because Mm -hmm. you're, yeah, and anything like that's never going to work. And can I just be clear, were these hundreds of dates all on dating apps or were these also like people that you were set up with or met randomly? Like what was? Everything. Yeah. Everything. I don't, I don't think that I was ever actually set up when I was dating. I don't think that a friend was ever like, Hey, I would like you to meet this person. Like, I don't think I was ever set up on a proper date with Mm -hmm. the, you know, blind date or something like that. That never happened, but I have met people in the wild not many not many you can count them on a couple of fingers um it was mostly online dating and it was every app you can imagine every method you can imagine stuff like that um 
that's that's really where it was coming from and that internalization of fault by the way and i'm curious what you think about this mm. i think it might be women because i was i'm a elder sister i have a younger brother who's 3 years younger than me and it took a really long time and 40 years of age before i realized that when something bad would happen to me my mom would communicate the ways in which it was my fault and when something would happen to my brother she would make excuses for everything around him and everyone around him for why that had happened to him. So that's been happening to me since I was three years old. So I think it might be learned. And that's not my mom's fault, by the way. Those are the tools that she was fed to. So like, I think it might be being a girl. I think Maybe. we might just be groomed to think like, if something bad happens, it's your fault. You better change and you better fix it. Not what business did they have treating you I, that way? And in some ways it feels like agency, but that it's really not. Mm -hmm. it's, it's this weird thing of like when it's in your power to change then you're kind of feeling like well if it hasn't changed then I haven't done enough mm -hmm. do you know what I mean it's like a double-edged sword of autonomy mm -hmm. of course it is but I'd rather have that than mm. be in a marriage I settled for and be oh, totally. super unhappy dating app fatigue and also sure. I love in your book around like well one thing that's actually stood, stood out was that we think that dating apps are the only way and yet when you list all of the random ways that people meet people oh I met them in a bus on a bus I met them at work I met them at a friend's wedding you know it's actually quite a very fewer dating apps mm -hmm. yet we somehow have decided like this is the only way and as you've said as well they are designed to make money out of us they're designed to make sure we don't meet someone so why Correct. are we so obsessed with them <laughs> why do we because... what? what's going on <laughs> because at face value they're easy and humans are lazy that's why because someone told us you can meet someone without getting off the couch and we believed them and then those apps started making billions with a mm. b off of us and realize that if they keep us single longer they make more money so what incentive do they have to actually help us out what incentive do they ever have and i know that we will never get I mean, maybe, you know, several decades from now, we'll get this. I know we'll never get hard and fast data on what they did to us, how successful they were, how successful they were not, things like that, um, because that kind of data doesn't serve the dating industry. All the dating industry wants to do is trot out these prized pony success stories while ignoring the millions of people who are scraping through dating apps while getting, you know, abused harassed, and yeah. harassed, toxic messages, unwanted sexual advances and sexual photos and all kinds of traumatic things that we then of course have to pay for and process in therapy. Um, I don't think we'll ever find, find that out, but I think when in their inception, someone said, Hey, what else can we do with the internet? We can help people find love. It might've been a kindness on day one. It is not a kindness now, and it is not an effective tool. Now it is a lie, but human beings are lazy. Sometimes human beings are desperate. And if someone is saying, I have something for you and it can help. You're likely to believe them because you don't want to be seen as a hopeless person. You don't want to live as a hopeless person. And if you say to yourself, oh, I couldn't do a dating app that doesn't sound right to me, then suddenly you're getting in your own way yeah. and you're oh jaded gosh. and you have no hope. Like all those fucking dating coach sayings that they love to give to you. You're getting in your own way because you're not doing things the way I tell you to. Honestly, like I'm trying to work on being nicer. So I'll say nothing. 
<laughs> what do you mean you'll say nothing? When people say to single people, you're single because you're not doing things the way I tell you to. Part of me just wants to say, who made you psychic? Who made you all knowing? Mm. Why do you get to be the one who's in charge of someone else's future? Why do you get to be in charge of how much shame someone's feeling or how much someone's internalizing fault because they're still single and they didn't listen to you. Now they get to feel worse about themselves. Like, fuck off. Like I I can't, I can't. And there's also, I find, I don't know if you've had this, that that kind of voyeurism or even like entertainment from people who met before dating apps, who never got to go on dating apps. They're like, Oh my God, tell me what it's like out there. And like, are you on the apps? And there's a kind of, it is quite exciting for them and quite entertaining to hear stories. But and then you're like, oh, am I just your entertainment? It's exciting for them. It's traumatic for us. Yeah. And then if we do tell the truth about what actually happens, we're just this hopeless person who's given up. And and we're there's no win. There is no win mm. for a single person who's being asked to regale married people with their dating stories. There is no way to win. So my suggestion there is to simply not participate and tell people that your romantic future and your attempts at having one are not their source of entertainment. Unless, unless reciprocity is present. I will give you all the dating horror stories you want, my dear, but you have to tell me about every marital fight you've had in the last 12 months. Tell me everything. Tell me the last time you thought you were going to get a divorce. I want details. I want all the juicy details. I want to know what you did. I want to know what therapist you went. Did you go to a therapist? You have to go to a therapist. Oh my God, I know this great therapist is going to fix your unhappy marriage. That sort of thing. If If we can play tennis... If we can play tennis, I will play tennis with you. But if it's me bouncing my yeah. ball against your wall for your entertainment, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And the thing that's really annoyed me recently, like I I think I've stopped using apps in the last few months now, but where on Hinge, I don't know if this is the same in the US, you they hid anyone who was decent and you had they only showed you them once a week and you had to give them a rose and you got one rose a week. But the rose looks really pathetic because it's like hey you're up this like on this pedestal but I'm like I never see these people you are clearly like are you even real and then you have to pay for more roses mm-hmm. I, I never got any response from everyone anyone I gave a rose to I never received a rose I'm like what is this and people were like I was going onto the internet going sorry what and people were boycotting it because it's like come on but yeah it's the money making Mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is it's only ever about money it was never it it is it is not about love it is about money and it, it's vital to understand that yeah it's vital to understand that if you're going to participate well the way that when I was reading about it when you were saying but the thing is there is always a couple of people that you know who have met what it made me think of is the lottery and gambling like mm-hmm. there's always people that win the lottery that's why people keep playing you always know someone somewhere you see in the news mm-hmm. so there's enough evidence for it to feel possible but the odds are so ridiculous. Yeah, just think about it like Vegas. The house always wins, but we play mm. because it's fun to play. We're not going to Vegas to make millions of dollars. We're going to Vegas because it's fun to play. Just think about yeah. it that If you're going to participate in dating apps, think about it that way. It's Vegas and the house will always, always, always yeah. win. They're baiting you in with a game. They're not baiting you in with money. Like you're just, we, we're grown adults. We know we're not going to, the odds of pulling a slot machine lever and hitting a big jackpot are so slim but it's exciting and it's fun to play and chance is fun. And we like that aspect of it, but it's like, it's a business. It's a money-making venture. Know what you're participating in. Participate if you want. Don't, don't, you don't have to avoid it like the plague if you don't hate mm. it. 
<laughs> I think that's a really liberating perspective, though, because I think if I were to use a dating app with that perspective, I think I would have had a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Like, probably I won't meet someone, but let's see who might be here rather than like, right, who am I going to meet this week? Because I have to have a date a week because that's oh, so exhausting. It is this burnout from it. But even if you did go into it with a more lighthearted, fun, gamified attitude, I think the amount of negative incoming on dating apps would get to you rather quickly. And I don't just mean bad messages or cruel things people say to you or or dating profiles that are offensive to read. I mean, the negative void that you're absorbing every second when you swipe right and you don't get a match. Mm-hmm. That's a negative interaction in your brain because you wanted something to happen and it didn't. You wanted something to happen and it didn't. You wanted something to happen and it didn't over and over and over and over and over And it's based again. on attraction. Yes. And it's based on attraction. It's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to internalize negativity. And I just... It's so odd. It's so odd to put this this highly draining negative thing in your life when there's a whole world of life out to live. And it's and there's by the way, there's no shame. I'm I'm giving no shame to anyone who has done this, who has I did it for 10 yeah, yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> I am you. I am yeah. you. There's no shame here. I just have to call it out very bluntly and very clearly because nobody else is. And it's still the fucking truth. So I'm going to keep saying it because I want people to feel better and people yeah. who are stuck where I was stuck don't feel good and I, it, my heart hurts for them. Like, when did you fully decide to stop dating apps? Because you fully, you're off them now. It's almost like an addiction, isn't it? Like, I'm off. But when, what was your journey with, like, finally letting them go and deleting them? January 26th, 2019. That was the morning I woke up and I asked myself, how are dating apps serving me? What are they giving me? What have they given me? And all the answers were negative. All the answers were horrible. And that was the way that I was able to remove them, to delete them and never get them back ever. But more, far more important, I never wanted them back. Mm. Because I asked them, what, what were they doing in my life? What business did they have in my life if all they were doing was was providing negativity and taking my money? Like, how dare you? You don't belong here. This is my space. This is my life. You don't belong here. You're not contributing to it in a positive way. And you haven't been for a decade. Yeah, you're subscribing so, to something that's, it's like having a really bad therapist or something and continuing to see them or going mm-hmm. to a gym where you never get fit or where it's always closed. Or I don't know. It's just like what you obviously would stop paying for that service. But somehow yeah. it feels more insidious and harder to notice. Anything, any other area of our life, we would not allow ourselves to be treated this way. But yeah. on the off chance you might find love, you'll put up with one hell of a lot, won't you? Well, that's the thing you're saying about not settling, but we're settling by using the apps in the first place. Correct. We're settling for bad behavior and interactions and God, the amount of ghosting. Like the behavior that I saw in myself, just like halfway through a conversation, I'd be like, oh, I know I can switch this off now. That is not how I want to show up in the world. That's not how I talk to my friends or family, but it it, it allows for a certain laziness or disrespect that we all just decide is okay. It's horrible. I've had some, um, and I know they're called dating horror stories, but I've I've heard some genuinely scary ones Mm -hmm. that have, and I don't mean physically scary or dangerous. I mean, the stories that, that clue you into the capability of people, specifically to the capability of cishet men, I remember in um in when I was in an era where like 
I was at my lowest, like my absolute lowest point with dating. I went to drinks with two girlfriends. It was one girlfriend that I knew and then a friend of hers from work. She brought her. So I didn't know this person. And they knew that I wrote about dating sometimes on Medium. And like they they knew that I was kind of in that world. Mm-hmm. And she told me the story about how that she had been dating this guy for three months. Three months. And, you know, they sleep over each other's houses all the time. They're in each other's lives. And he said, hey, there's this flag football game on Saturday. Would you like to come with me and like meet my friends and stuff like that? And she said, of course, that sounds like so much fun. Flag football is an American game. I don't know if you guys have it. I don't know that one. Um, It's like, imagine like playing soccer, but you have two little flags tied around your waist. And while you have the ball, while you're running, if someone rips a flag off, you're like out of the game. Tag rugby. Yes. There you go. Okay. So like a tag (laughs) rugby game. And uh, so that was Saturday. And on Thursday night, at two in the morning, he called her and said, Hey, I'm coming over Thursday night at two in the morning. He never came over and she never heard from him again. What? Ever. She thought he died. She thought he had been in an accident, like the ghost to end all ghosts. A couple months later, she saw him in the elevator at work because they worked in the same building. That's how they met. He was alive mm-hmm. and well. He just vanished himself from her life without a word, without any explanation. And I was so scared. Because I thought they can do that. They have the audacity to do that. They have the ability. There are human beings with the ability to do that. Because I had been ghosted pretty heavily too, but that's the mm. worst case of a ghost I'd ever heard. That's and so sad. It's so sad, right? And it, it just, it spun my wheels. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, what are we doing? What is this culture that we're building? Because we were a part of it. We were, we're all a part of it. Men, women, the apps, everybody, we're all creating this culture what it's avoidance isn't it it's i mean that's old i feel for this man he must have just like to be someone who's not able to have whatever conversation he needed to have like that's a sad place to be but the the thing is he can yeah because it's somehow i think probably they worked in the same place that's absolutely he he chose to be a shit a really big one and i was like i don't I don't, that was one of the first times I ever asked myself if I could continue to participate in this kind of dating culture. And, Mm. but I was still so sad and so lonely and so desperate for a relationship. I was like, but I just have to keep trying because it just, all it takes is one. And eventually Mm. something's going to click. Right. It's just, it's like mad to think about all the things we've told ourselves over the years. So what's changed in your life since you've been off dating apps? Oh my God. Um, I got a whole career. And I love it. And I work for myself now and I'm so happy. My mental health is so much stronger than it ever was. Um, I'm just, I'm so much happier. I am the only reason I think about singlehood. The only reason I think about my own singlehood ever is because it's my job. If I wasn't yeah. creating work around this, like I don't, I used to sit at home on like a Thursday evening or a Friday afternoon or something like that. And I was so ashamed or worried or anxious if I didn't have plans for the weekend. I found that to be a very shameful thing. Mm. Like no one invited me out. I don't have any plans. No one likes me. Like that used to make me feel so bad now. And it's not just because I've aged because that has happened too. But Mm -hmm. now it's just like, I don't have any anxiety about a weekend with no plans. I'm now like, how do I want to fill that time? What am I going to do with it? It's, um, it's just a completely different perspective. I've started living a more full life. I've started fully leaning into adulthood. I, one of the coolest things I did, and I talked about this in the book was like, I realized in my thirties that I was still using like kitchen gadgets from college because I just assumed (laughs) 
that you get new stuff when you get married. You register and you get new stuff. And like, I don't want to get new stuff now. Then what will I register for when I get married? These are the batshit oh, wow. crazy thoughts in my head. So I like had this one beautiful day where I just gathered up all of my terrible cookie sheets and my terrible mixing bowls. And I put them on the street and donated them to whoever passed by and picked them up. And I bought new stuff, not expensive stuff, just like crisp, clean, new mixing yeah. bowls that matched and cookie sheets that weren't bent out of shape and like a spoon that wasn't that stupid dumb one from Target that like everyone had in college. Um, <laughs> and it was like, I, I stopped waiting. I stopped waiting mm. for my life to start. That was the biggest thing is I stopped waiting for my life to start and I started living my life. I love that because it does feel like marriage particularly is the initiation into adulthood that yeah. everyone has. And that if you don't, and that you're witnessed by all your friends and family going into a new stage of your life, if you don't have that ritual in your thirties, I'm like my late 30s or mid to late 30s now. I don't, I, I'm 37. I was, I don't know which side they are. I'm going to round down for today. <laughs> mid 30s still. Um, yeah, it's like, I've had this feeling of like, well, I'm not an adult yet. I'm not an adult. And it's just, it's interesting that I think we have to create our own rituals if we don't have an initiation that others see as the move into adulthood. You know what I mean? I do. And I think you're exactly right. And I think maybe someone who's 10 years old right now when she's our age, she might be able to have those beautiful ritual moments where she's seen as graduating into adulthood and it's valid and it's whole and it's real and it's not a consolation prize version of life the way that singlehood mm -hmm. is for us. I, th I have a lot of hope for people who are younger now. Uh, maybe it's misguided. Maybe I just like need to have hope because why else are we getting out of bed every day? But like, I do think that there will be a sea change. Mm -hmm. I really do. Um, because I think we're telling more truth about what partnership is, what it's not, how it how it serves each gender in an imbalanced way, and how a healthy, beautiful marriage can exist when it's serving both equally. It really can. I have to believe that that's possible. Like I, I believe in equality and partnership. I believe in balance and partnership. I believe in love and joy and stuff shared between two people. I genuinely do. And it excites me so much. And I look forward to being able to prove that theory, by the way. Mm. Um, but I also believe in a future that doesn't have to have partnership in order for a woman to be seen as valid, in order for a woman to be seen as desirable, beautiful, whole, successful. Um, I know that eventually the world will see what I want it to see is just slow going. It's like trying to turn the Titanic. It's yeah. going to take some time. Um, we are the pioneers of a, a new way of being. I have another episode with Kim, who I think you know, Kim Willis, around yeah, knowing when to quit the idea of having children. And we were really like, you know, we may not have children and then we have to become pioneers in a new way of being women mm -hmm. who aren't women in a traditional way. And I think it's the same with marriage. I think it's the same with, yeah. I mean, I had a thought the other day on the tube, which is often where I have thoughts <laughs> on the underground, where I was like, maybe I'm never going to get married. Maybe I am never going to have children and maybe I'm never going to buy my own home. And I'm what, and I think I will live a wonderful life. Mm -hmm. And it was this moment of like, what if it's already enough? And I'm not waiting until I'm accepted by society for, for having made it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, wow, maybe I get to give myself that. Of course you do. Do you know how many of your ancestors are looking at you thinking you made it right now? 
Why not? Like how Rice? many women in our in our family lines in our in society for generations got married because they had to, they were forced oh to, they had no choice. It was that or destitution. Like we are people's wildest dreams. We really are. We've got so much freedom. Do, 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 do. Quit. Okay, the price of being single, like financially, is shocking. Sure. But the freedom is amazing. And you know what else is pretty shocking? The day after a wedding is really shocking for a woman. Like, wait, I did everything you told me to do. I, I did the thing. I, I accomplished the thing. I got all the praise and the presents, and now that's all stopped. And now real life is starting, and this wasn't as good as you promised it was going to be. What the hell? Oh, God. Do you know people I would, who've said yeah. that? Do you know people? Of course. I mean, do you know how many like PR emails I get from people representing a woman who like woke up out of a 20 year marriage because he cheated and she was just like, I've lost myself. I lost myself to this husband and these children. And now I'm going to go on my eat, pray, love trip and then write a book over and over and over and over again. Plenty of women wake up having lost themselves to decades of a marriage but they did everything that they were supposed to do. They got all the praise and they got all the approval and this was supposed to be wonderful, but it, what if it wasn't? And that the wake up call of me and you saying, maybe the, what if this is, what if this is how it is? Like, and that's allowed to be a good thought. The other side of that coin is this is how it is because this is how I was told it was supposed to be. And it's not good. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing with the dating apps. I'm like, I'm miserable on these Mm-hmm. I, it's like going on social media and being like, oh, I just feel worse. And, I, you know, it's like, but times a hundred, times a million, the dating apps. And then it's like, what I remember a friend being like, I'm just not going to use them because I don't enjoy them. And I was like, what? Are we allowed? And I definitely, I had, <laughs> I had the thought, I had the thought, she's blocking, she's blocking love. It's so awful, isn't it? Anyway, it is, but it's okay. You need to forgive yourself for that <laughs> thought. Forgive yourself for that. It was, you were trained to think that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, but I wondered, I was like, because I probably feel the same. I probably feel like I need to keep trying. Oh, it's awful. Um, yeah, so and what are other things that have like, for people who are listening to this going, I just still think it's really bad to be single. Like what, what are you, what's your advice for them of how to embrace being single and enjoy it and love it? They don't have to. You don't have to love oh, being yeah, single if true. you don't want to. <laughs> it's your option. It's your life. Do whatever you want with it. If you are... Um, miserably single but still everything i'm saying sounds like bullshit you don't have to hear me you don't have to listen to me it is not required listening to me and agreeing with me is never required you can live whatever singlehood you want to live if you are miserably single and you don't want to feel that way anymore we should talk (laughs) it's there is a difference you have agency over your own life like nobody has to accept singlehood nobody has to choose singlehood a phrase i can't fucking stand nobody has to marry themselves a phrase i hate even more um you don't have to love this Mm. not everyone does not everyone has to some people genuinely do not enjoy being alone and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever i wish especially for for people who have a hard time being on their own i wish that finding love that people connecting in this life i wish it was easier i wish it was kinder I wish it happened more often and with less work. I really do. And that's that's the hard part for me to sit with because I can't fix it. I try really hard, but I can't fix it. And the dating industry is not only not trying to fix it, they're making money off of people in pain. So you don't have to love this. And there's a lot about it. I don't want to lie to anybody. There's a lot about it not to love. 
there are a lot of shitty aspects of being single. Um, but there are so many good ones. And those have not seen even a morsel of their day in the sun, mm. in my opinion. They really haven't because anytime we try to like really enjoy something or lean into it, we're shamed again. Like, oh, she's just lying to herself. Oh, she thinks she's going on a really fun trip by herself, but isn't that so sad that she doesn't have anyone to walk on that beach with? If you are walking on a beach in like Thailand or something at sunset and the prevailing thought in your head is, oh, I wish someone else was here. Honey, I can't help you because you are in one of the most beautiful moments of your life and you're not seeing it. You have to come to seeing that on your own, mm. not simply seeing it for what it lacks because society told you you were lacking something. In that moment, you are whole and you are enjoying and you are in a beautiful, beautiful moment in time that you'll remember for the rest of your life. You choose what you want to remember about it. There are resources for for our fears, for our anxieties, for moments of loneliness. There are coping skills. There's therapy. There's the community support. There's all kinds of things. Like We're never as alone as we think we are. Um, but I just want people to know that they're never doing it wrong. Yeah. I think there's a lot of this world that wants to tell single people, specifically single women, that we're doing everything wrong. And I want you to know that you're not doing your own life wrong. You are doing your own life your way. And that's the only way it can ever be done. No one can else do it. No one can do it for you. No one can, no one can, um, no one can live your life, but you. So other people's judgments, other people's suggestions, take what works, leave what doesn't and, and stop thinking like you're living every moment of your life the wrong way. It's an exhausting and it's an unfair way to live. You're allowed to be doing things right. It's, it's okay. Yeah. I, I think that's, so important to realize because some people might be listening to this being like right I've now got to go and delete dating apps or you know and it's like <laughs> no 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 like the real message I'm hearing is tune in to what you need and mm -hmm. like yeah whatever and yeah whatever you're whatever you choose to do is right for your life no one else can tell you you are however allowed to delete your dating apps oh yeah for sure you are allowed oh, yeah, to yeah, delete yeah, yeah, them yeah. Um, and do a little ritual around it, maybe a little, little burn. I mean, light a candle, put yeah. some music on, whatever you need, take a bath, <laughs> do whatever you need to do, but just know that it's allowed. It yeah. is possible. And it is allowed because I do not believe in taking breaks from dating apps. I think anything mm. that requires us to take a break from it because it's too toxic, it's too painful, it's too fruitless. We need to evaluate whether you need a break or whether it deserves to exist in your life at all. Like I'm tired of these breaks. I am tired of yeah. these breaks. This is this is that addiction mentality and they want you addicted. They designed it that way. They coded it to make you addicted to it. Like that's what's happening. So yeah, so much to think about. And one last thing I wanted to bring up was um, around, well, maybe it's the time to share what, for you to share what you've launched today. And this idea of like, when we might quit talking about a topic, like you've got really known now for talking about being single and like, yeah. How does that feel to be the go-to person to talk about singledom? And like, does that, yeah. Like, how do you relate to that as, a, as your topic versus maybe there's other things you want to be talking about? I love talking about singlehood because while the scale is not what I might want it to be at, the magnitude with individual human beings is huge. I've seen so many people feel so much better because of my work. And for that, I'm very grateful. I feel very privileged and lucky. Um, and so I'll keep doing it. I'm, I'm, what you're referencing is today I launched my own advice column because I've always wanted one. I've always really looked up to like Dear Abby and Ask Polly and all of that. And I never felt like I would ever have that because I would never be good enough for that. 
And I was tired of feeling that way. So I decided to launch my own and today I did, and I'm so excited and it's, it's helping to expand the breadth of the kind of work that I do, because I want to stay excited for all of the work that I do. And I think focusing too intently on one thing I was, I was, you know, reading your website. I'm definitely a carousel person, like without question. (laughs) And so I have to have breadth and depth to what I do. And I also, I'm a writer since I'm six years old. Mm. I discovered that I I love podcasting and I'm so lucky that I found this like skill set later in life and I love what I do. I want to be on the radio. I want I want this to expand, but I am a writer and I wanted to write more and I wanted to write more in a way that could help people. And this is how I've chosen to do it. I think it's not a quitting for me because I'm definitely not no, quitting talking about singlehood, but it is a you're allowed to do more things. You don't have to just be known for one thing. Um and maybe I would feel differently if you know I was getting the hundreds of thousands of followers that girls who do makeup get like maybe that would change my perspective I don't know but um I do know that for my mental health for my professional goals I had to expand my realm and this is Mm -hmm. how I've chosen to do it and I'm so excited to do it because I, I don't know my I think both of us probably can relate to this like the ways that we think about the world and the ways that we strategize and and do things are kind of scary to some people and like weird to some people and like um that's you know they give you kind of quizzical looks like they don't instantaneously agree. You're not instantaneously like, this is all fine and perfect and wonderful. And I've gotten a lot of that over the years. Like I've gotten a lot of scrunched up noses in my direction. Like, oh, Um, so let's put that to good use. Let's stop being ashamed of it. And let's start turning that into a positive. Like if I see things differently, let's start, let's start using that. How can we use that to my benefit and to other people's benefit? Yeah, gorgeous. So just, so um, how can people find your, your advice for them? So you can find everything that I do, my podcast, my book, and both of my substacks on okay. shanysilver.com. Um, Shaney Silver is a very Googleable name. So shanysilver.com has all links to Hey Shaney, which is my new advice column, 1982, which is sort of a mental health related newsletter for people. Oh, I born don't know that in... one. Yeah, it's, um, I launched it uh, last year. It's predominantly for people born in the early 80s and raised by 80s parents and all the niceties that come along with that but really I hope it helps people from a much broader range of of uh, ages because it's really about um, mental health and self-worth and Mm. the messages that we received as children from an upbringing that was that was happening you know three decades ago everything is so different now with the way we raise children and so we're seeing people raise children differently now, and it's a beautiful, gorgeous thing, but that doesn't mean that what happened to us is gone. We're still living with those inner children and they deserve to be spoken to. So that's what 1982 is about. Can you just give a very top line, what did 80s parents do generally? <laughs> oh God. Well, the, there's one going live to, as, as we record this, there's one going live tomorrow about this story of two pennies. The story of two pennies is um, a moment where my great grandmother, who was born in Poland in 1908, um, she was at the grocery store and they shortchanged her by two pennies. And instead of just saying like, oh, it's just two pennies and leaving, she marched back into the store and demanded her two pennies. And that's like a proud family anecdote. You know, they tell it with smiles on their faces. But what that was telling me when I was very small is that money is so scarce and so precious. You have to hoard it. No more money is ever coming. Be afraid of money. Like just be, be so on edge when it comes to money that you can't let two pennies go. And so it's about reworking those memories that had formed 
my limiting beliefs around money, my patterns around money, and just breaking them apart Mm. so that I get to define new ones for myself instead of only having the stories that I was fed from family, from peers, from teachers in, you know, in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Oh, I need to get on that newsletter. Sounds great. I'm I'm 85. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My brother was born that year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else that you'd like to share? What do you, what either something you're doing or something that you want people to know? I mean, I feel like between the podcast, the book and two Substacks, I am offering as much (laughs) as my capacity can give. If you enjoy just off the cuff ridiculousness my tiktok is there for you um but i would i would say um i'm very easy to find and i'm sort of a choose your own adventure person whatever you like that i make that's for you and i hope that there's there's something in the world that i do that makes people feel good and supported and soothed maybe laugh if i dare to dream um and i hope that um i hope that you check it out amazing well i've got some stuff to check out there as well um, thank you so much, Shani. It's been amazing chatting to you. I love your perspective on this. And yeah, lots, lots to think about. I'm really excited to see. Yeah, if you've been listening to this, like, let us know what your thoughts are, whether you're single or coupled up, like really interested to hear what this is, what this has brought up. Thank you so, so much for having me. This was a joy. Drum.